News Network. An activist group threatens violence if the court doesn't play ball. Protests, threats against justices, an assassination attempt. And what comes out of Congress is more swamp gas than the bayous of East Texas. Threats from Capitol Hill, threats from the White House. Against who? Against you. So why is no one in the mainstream press talking about this? Well, we know the truth. We are the truth. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And speaking loud and proud is Dan Newman. Shh, don't say anything. If we don't talk about it, that means it's not there. I think that's what they all think about the stuff they're doing. They don't know. We see. We understand. And we're talking about it. We're telling everybody about it. There's a bunch of wrongdoing going on every day in Washington, D.C. and around our country and around the world. We can't police it all, but what we can do is find the facts and bring them to you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, a production of truthnewsnet.org. I'm Dan Newman, and I'm so glad you made the choice to join us here today. Looking ahead in the show, we have a bunch of stuff for you. At the bottom of the hour, this first hour, we have a very special guest. I'm excited. Jeremy Hammond is going to join us. Have you heard of him? He is the information disinformation guru for everything regarding fraud at uh, the FDA. Um, Disinformation at places like the CDC and social media across the board. This guy is plugged in. Jeremy Hammond He just checked in with me, confirmed we're going to be live at the bottom of the hour. So don't you dare miss it. If you missed this or someone you know missed this information piece about him being here, call him and tell him, hey, you need to tune in to TNN Live. Jeremy Hammond is going to be there. He is an investigative journalist that is unbelievable. He's got the goods. And what else do we have? Well, I can tell you this. Seems like every day we can confirm when our leaders tell us the truth and then their attempts to um, hide things from us. I've never seen it before like this. Never have I seen it like this. It's easier to get bad information now than it ever has been. And I wonder if it's because whoever in this administration was charged with hiding it decided to say, ah, I'm not going to hide it anymore. Maybe they switch jobs Or maybe, maybe the President of the United States forgot about them. And it's just out there just blowing and going. Everything is out in the open for us now. Well, let me think that through one more time. I don't think we see and know everything. But I think the stuff that's coming out there that we're finding, that means there is a whole lot more out there that we've not seen yet. That's the part that troubles me. Listen, we could spend the day talking about lies, 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 coming out of this administration. I mean, every part of this administration, and by the way, the United States Congress too, almost every member of Congress, Democrat or Republican, pays homage to the big green lie. The big green lie. So do all the past and remaining conservative candidates vying to be prime minister of the UK. 
Yeah, they're involved in this big green lie. And every candidate currently vying for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada and then all of our politicians that are running for election or re-election in our midterms coming up in November. So does virtually all of the mainstream press. They've signed in and are 100% the big green lie. The big green lie, that carbon dioxide, is a pollutant. It's so pervasive that even those that are considered to be skeptics, including right-wing NGOs, non-government organizations, and political pundits, generally, they stick to the orthodoxy, differing not in their stated belief that CO2 is a pollutant, but only in how bad a pollutant it is. Because everybody now participates in the carbon emissions are bad lie, the debate over climate policy hasn't been over whether a CO2 problem exists, but over how urgently CO2 needs to be addressed and how it should be addressed. Do we have eight years left before Armageddon becomes inevitable, or is it decades? Do we get off fossil fuels by building some more nuclear plants or planting dozens and dozens of more wind turbines? Should we change our lifestyles so that we need less of everything? Maybe we should mitigate this evil, the view of those deemed climate minimalists, by shielding our continents across the globe from a rising of the oceans by enclosing them all the way around behind seawalls. I never thought about that. So with almost everyone across the political spectrum publicly agreeing that curbing carbon emission is a good thing, the debate has been between those who want to do good quickly by reaching net zero in 2040 and sticks in the mud who want to slow down doing of a good thing. With conversation, discourse careening down rabbit holes, almost everybody gets lost pursuing solutions to Alice in Wonderland delusions. And by the way, on that road, wasting trillions of dollars, taxpayer dollars in the process. Until this century, the 2000s, when climate change was still called global warming and the mainstream media still noticed that None of the myriad predictions of a climate catastrophe were being borne out. The polar caps weren't melting. Manhattan wasn't wasn't just about to be submerged. Malaria wasn't infecting the northern hemisphere. Many exposed man-made climate changes as a hoax. The leaked climate gate emails revealed how scientists had conspired to hide the decline in temperatures that didn't conform to their models. They actually cheated. The claim that 97% of scientists supported the global warming theory, it was exposed as a fraud. Do you hear anything about that exposure of that being a fraud? No. Also, the claim that the 4,000 scientists associated with the IPCC endorsed that report, those 4,000 hadn't endorsed it, and most of them hadn't even read it but had just reviewed parts of the report 
and many of them disagreed with what they read. The claim that the climate change science was settled or on climate change never withstood scrutiny. It never stood up. There was no proof that that was even possible, yet alone a fact. Scientists all across the world signed a series of petitions, and those petitions disputed that claim. The 2008 Oregon petition. 2008, folks. Spearheaded by a former president of the National Academy of Science and championed by Freeman Dyson, Albert Einstein's successor at Princeton, and one of the world's most preeminent scientists, was signed by more than 31,000 scientists and experts, 31,000, 31,000 who agreed that the, quote, proposed limits on greenhouse gases would harm the environment, hinder the advance of science and technology, and damage the health and welfare of mankind. 31,000. 31,000 said that. Did you hear anything about that? No. Moreover, there is substantial scientific evidence that increases in atmospheric CO2 produce many beneficial effects upon the natural plant and animal environments of the earth. Mother Nature, good old Mother Nature, Mother Nature, maybe we should call Mother Nature God. Mother Nature slash God created plants to rely on CO2 to live. That was kind of a cool thing because every breathing creature, breathing is the key word there, breathes out CO2 that feeds plants. Will it go round in circles? That's what it does. We breathe out carbon dioxide, plants breathe it in. CO2. What is settled about all this is the abject failure of the three-decade-long attempt by the bureaucracies of about 195 countries of the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change to convince anyone other than themselves, a credulous media, and a relatively few gullible people that climate change represents, here we go, their term, an existential threat. Poll after poll after poll over the decades show the public gives climate change short credibility when asked to rank its importance. With everything on our plate today in the United States, all the polls that are asking Americans, what are the most important things to you regarding the upcoming midterm elections? Climate change is not even in the top 10 yet. That's all we hear coming from the left. Oh, we're going to die. We got to get away from fossil fuel, that evil fossil fuel, when all of a sudden everybody on the other side of the pond is going the other way. And we're supposed to be doing what we're doing so that we look like those on the other side of the pond. Will it go round in circles? A Gallup poll reached this week, which asked Americans, what do you think is the most important problem facing this country? 
They found out that climate change didn't meet its criteria of the many issues worth even listing. As Gallup noted, many parts of the nation have suffered record heat in recent weeks. Other regions have received record flooding. But with that going on, a low 3% of Americans mentioned the weather, the environment, or climate change as the nation's top problem. But that climate change thing, that's an existential threat. So too, last month, where just 1% of voters in a recent New York Times poll named climate change as the most important issue facing the country, 1%. Even among voters under 30, that's the hotspot you would think for climate change activism. The group thought to be the most energy energized by the issue, their number was 3%. Although most elites continue to pay lip service to the urgency of curbing carbon dioxide, their actions belie their words. Whether judged by their penchant for private jet travel or their disingenuous commitment to climate-related policies. According to an international energy agency, the IEA announcement last week, coal is once again king. Coal, that evil, nasty, polluting energy source. And coal comes from carbon. Ooh, that's, that's bad. Global coal demand this year will match the annual record set back in 2013. And coal demand is likely to increase further next year to a new all-time high. You hear about that on MSNBC and CNN? No, not a word. The IEA's assessment, it agrees with the worldwide embrace of coal that includes the European Union, until recently the world's most zealous climate scold. The European Union is now walking back its net zero commitments. Why? Because they're unattainable, but more importantly, they're not real. In some countries, governments are not so much walking back climate policies as kicking them out, calling wind turbines fans that harm the environment and cause visual pollution without providing very much energy. That's Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador said his government will end the subsidies and stop issuing permits for new wind projects. Our partner in the Middle East, Israel, is also set to pull the plug on the country's wind industry. Its environmental protection minister arguing that wind provides a tiny negligible contribution to the country's power system compared to the potential for harm to nature, which is high. Recognizing renewables as economic and environmental boondoggles, as Mexico and Israel have already done, it's a step toward puncturing the lie that a fuel that emits carbon dioxide can be sensibly replaced. The other shoe to drop is the lie that carbon dioxide-emitting fuels should be replaced, which brings me to a possible potential conundrum. Plant life. Everything in the plant world, with the exception of underwater, 
Got to have CO2 to survive. Well, here we are. We're spending trillions of dollars along with our partners around the globe to do away with carbon fossil fuel. How are plants going to live? And we grow things to eat. Just saying. The fantastical claim that CO2 is a pollutant, it was cut out of a whole cloth. The 2008 statement by those 31,000 experts that there is no convincing scientific evidence that human release of carbon dioxide, of methane, or other greenhouse gases is causing or will, in the foreseeable future, cause catastrophic heating of the Earth's atmosphere and disruption of the Earth's climate, is as true today as it was then and as it always has been. No scientist anywhere at any time has showed that man-made CO2 emissions, a.k.a. nature's fertilizers, do any harm to anything. That all is uncontroverted fact. I don't care about the politics. I don't care about the hoo-ha that we hear, the screaming, the existential threats that we get all the time about carbon emission. If it really was real, then why would our leaders have not I'm looking over my shoulder. There's been a lot of times in the past couple of decades where Democrats controlled Congress. Why didn't they pass climate change laws? Why didn't they jump on this? Well, it wasn't politically expedient at the time to do it. They couldn't weaponize it against those evil conservatives, those Republicans. But now they ran out of arrows in their quiver to fire at us conservatives. They had to come up with some new ammo Let's think, let's think. Oh, climate change. Well, somebody, when that was brought up, they said, wait a minute, raise their hand. Wait wait, wait a minute. We did that. We tried that back in the 90s. And we got busted because we were giving them timelines where we're all going to die if we don't do this. They were projecting an ice age in the 80s. Of course, that never happened. So they had to find another weapon. Ooh, let's talk about global warming. They tried that for 15 years. Boom, got busted. Some genius, and that wouldn't be Al Gore because Al Gore's not a genius. It wouldn't be Kemp because he's certainly not a genius. But somebody came up and said, hey, why don't we just come up with a catch-all phrase that any time the climate changes, we've still got it in our catch-all phrase so we can... always look like we're credible. Da-da-da, climate change. When temperatures worldwide go up, oh, it's climate change. When there's flooding, oh, it's climate change. When parts of the United States have freezing weather abnormal, never been seen before, oh, that's climate change. Everything's climate change. They found something, a catch-all phrase, to use as a weapon against anybody that disagrees with them about anything. And now, listen closely what I'm about to say. They got 
busted. They are lying to us. John Kerry flies around in his jet. Go do it, buddy. Yeah, it's polluting a little bit, but you're not destroying the climate. We've all thought none of this matches up. So why, if they know this, which they do, would they continue to take us down that road? Think about that for a second. The Biden administration, from top to bottom, is a unmitigated failure. They all know Joe Biden is about to be toast, and in a few minutes, we're going to have our special guest. He's not going to talk about climate change, but on the other side of that, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen politically over the next two years. You don't want to miss this. Call your friends and tell them, hey, Newman's fixing to make a nut job out of himself. (laughs) I'm telling you, when things look unbelievable, like there is no even a thread of truth in this, it couldn't possibly be that way. It's usually, you're correct. There's a plan. That's one thing you can always be assured of. Democrats, the party, always had a plan. They're good at planning, as is different from most of the Republican organizations out there. Democrats are not only planners, but they're wonderful at pulling each other in and getting on the same page. They've got a plan. What might that be? What could be the plan that these Democrats, well, we know what their objective is. What's that? You know, this running through the border at the southern border of the nation and all these millions of immigrants coming in, that's part of their plan, which we've caught them. They want to build the Democrat Party, make these people rely on Democrats for everything, and they'll vote for them when Democrats get them that right. We know about that. Climate change is because they had nothing in their quiver. No arrows left. They needed some other way to boondoggle us. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN, the Truth News Network. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. 
Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. When I was young, and back in the 60s, having relationships with friends in the neighborhood that you hung out with all the time, that was a big deal, and everybody did it. I had a couple of friends in that group that uh, they were constantly lying. They would say things purposely, but most of the time it just seemed like they were telling lies and it was part of their nature. That's just what they did. I asked my dad one specific time, and I don't even remember the exact circumstances, but it was a really big deal to me. My best friend lied to me. And then when I confronted him with that, he lied about it again. It really hurt me bad. I was probably eight, maybe nine years old. I went to my dad that night and I told him what was going on. And he taught me something in just a few words that I'll never forget about that. He said, Dan, actually back then I was Danny. Danny, let me, let me just tell you how I, I handle it when people, my friends, when I find out they're lying to me. He said, I just determined in my mind, well, they lost that. No credibility with me anymore. I just never believe what they tell me ever again. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of getting back at them. I don't think that's real smart. And then I began to think about it. That's where I got the nature that I live in now. It's no big deal if you say something. I'm not necessarily going to believe or disbelieve what you tell me. If it's important, I'm going to go find out if it's the truth, whether I trust you or not, especially about things that I would maybe change things in my life, a decision based on what you told me. And then if you lied to me or you, if you uh, misrepresented something, I just mark you in my mind. And from then on, we can still be friends. You'll never know that I have any, any doubts at all about what you say, but I'll just be very benignly listening to everything you say. And I'll just put it up in Never Never Land for a while until I find out if it was true. I got an investigative mind from that. And my fundamental, this is not my glass is half empty. Like, you know, I don't believe anybody. So I'm just going to listen to what you say and just think you're a liar from the start. It's not that at all. What it does is it gives you a research kind of mind. It forces you to think. And it's too easy today for all of us to rely on electronics, on the internet, on satellite television, on iPhones, and whatever kind of phone that you have. How many of you thought 20 years ago that today you could actually do an entire radio show on a telephone and nobody listening could even know about it? You can do that today, folks. And we don't even think about that. You get all kinds of information through your day on your phone. You don't even have to go to your computer to get most of anything. Yeah, doing documents and stuff like that's much easier on a computer. 
but you can still do it on a phone. And let me tell you this, I have an iMac sitting on my desk here in the studio. At my other office, I have an iMac. I have a MacBook Pro that goes everywhere with me. I have an iPad that goes everywhere with me. And I use principally an iPhone. Every one of those devices I just named to you are connected to each other. So I can write something, little tiny print on my phone, and in seconds when I hit save, it populates on both iMacs, my MacBook Pro, and my iPad. Who would have thought (laughs) that we could possibly have that ability? Who would have thought it? 1986, I bought my first computer. It was a Radio Shack computer, and they like to call them Tandy because Tandy owned Radio Shack. And it had the big floppy drive. It was incredible that I could put stuff on there. I saw it on my computer screen. I could hit save, and it was on that floppy drive. I don't even remember what the memory was. But I always ran out of memory on every computer I ever had. And I remember the first phone. The very first phone was actually nothing more than a a radio. A radio that had a handset. And when you picked it up, there would be an operator, just like on shortwave radio, and they would ask the number you wanted to speak to. They would dial the phone and just connect it. That was the first quote-unquote cell phone. I had one. I thought that was incredible. So anyway, all that, that's uh, in the offing. I want to go to the phones now. Hold on just a second. Good morning. Good morning. Hello there. Hi. Hi. Is this Jeremy? This is. I apologize for that. I, uh, I didn't recognize your number. We were just talking about the incredulous things that are happening in our nation around us and the things that uh, we never thought could happen are happening. I'm sure you see that a little bit in your life. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen, I've introduced you to our audience just to give you a quickie. We have people listening from around the world. Most of our audience population is in the continental United States. And I told them a little bit about what you do, but I want you to describe it because I'm sure you can do it better than I did. You're, (laughs) you're a research guy. You look for stuff and you find all kind of good stuff. Tell us about it, Jeremy. Yeah, I just, I do a lot of research. You know, I like to investigate things and just to try to understand the truth. I, I focus on controversial topics um, uh, just because, you know, the, the very important, uh, I started out doing foreign policy, getting into economics, uh, and in the last several years, been really focused on vaccines. And then of course, with the COVID-19 pandemic and the authoritarian policy responses to it, uh, shifted my focus to that. I, uh, so what I do essentially is expose dangerous state propaganda serving to manufacture consent for criminal policies. Well, it should be easy for you to research things in the medical world. All you got to do is listen to what Dr. Anthony Fauci says. Right. Yes, because, of course, he is the manifestation of the science, right? According according to himself, he, he is he is science when he speaks. That's science speaking. I heard uh, you know that I heard him. Yeah. I heard him say that when he did and I almost passed out. 
I, I know. know. I've heard him say it on two different occasions. So he repeated that. <laughs> uh, and, and the fact, and the fact that someone in such a high influential position could say something like that, and and he's not laughed out of the room uh, for being for making completely unscientific statements. I mean, it, it, that 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 is really the epitome of it, isn't it? I mean, that that's such a good snapshot of the problem. Um, that of course, what the government and the mainstream media say that science says is completely different from what we actually know from the, the scientific literature. They're, they're complete, I have know, an, at, at times, opposites of each other. I have an actual family member, extended family member, who works directly for Fauci, is a, a research doctor, and um, is currently in one of those, quote-unquote, bio, what I don't want to say bioweapons, but a bio lab in uh, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, making sure no gain-of-function stuff is getting out of hand. <laughs> That's right. the truth. That's the truth. Uh, so we don't talk about that when we get together as a family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, for any listeners who don't aren't already aware, Fauci's agency, the NIAID, which is a sub-agency of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, uh, was involved in funding gain-of-function research uh, done by researchers in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where, of course, the uh, first outbreak of COVID-19 occurred. Um, and, and, and we know there was, a, there was a massive attempt to try to cover up, uh, you know, it, to cover up what was done there, uh, where they tried to dismiss the lab origin hypothesis as some kind of conspiracy theory, even though the zoonotic origin hypothesis for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, uh, has not been proven. It has not been demonstrated that uh, it evolved in nature. So you're you're um, con- you're convinced, and I just want to put you on record here. You're convinced that there's something still unproven about how SARS-CoV-2 just entered the Earth's atmosphere. That's a fact. It's a fact that we don't know the origin of the virus. It has not been proven that it came from zoonotic origin. Means that it. it you know, it came from nature. It evolved in nature. Yeah. The, the, the hypothesis is that it, it, it exists in a bat host population. Uh, perhaps made a, a maybe there was an intermediary species, maybe it left from bats to some other species, and then to humans, uh, and, and then we had the, the pandemic. Uh, that has not been proven, uh, and that's that's just a fact. I mean, that's an acknowledged fact in the literature that 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 remains a hypothesis. It has not been proven. Before we move uh, on, course, before we move on, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Would you, whenever the proof of that comes out, would you come back and tell us so that we would factually know from somebody that is not politically connected, looking for a particular answer with what they mm-hmm. said? But would you come back and explain that to us when it finally does come out? Yeah, absolutely. Although <laughs> I don't anticipate that happening because, of course, they're not interested in, um, you know, they, the, 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 to date, the investigation. I mean, this is kind of a long story, but the WHO, for example, did an investigation, but it was a joke. It was a cover up, uh, which was obvious from the part from the, from the start. Um, you know, just the people involved in the investigation. You know, you have people like um, Dazak, who is the, the head of EcoHealth Alliance, which was the private group that Anthony Fauci was sending money to, and then he was the one who responsible for funneling some of those funds to uh, researchers in Wuhan. So all kinds of conflicts of interests um, with that investigation. Uh, it was really a farce. 
uh, it, it's obvious that they weren't really interested in doing a serious real investigation, which of course would require really like a forensic investigation of the lab, uh, which we, at this point we can pretty safely assume is not ever going to happen. Jeremy, I think the biggest thing that is on the table and everybody is concerned about it as we, we, we watch that every day we see more evidence that Dr. Fauci and those that are with him told us a bunch of lies and Americans and many people around the world made life-changing decisions on every one of those things that they told us were factual. You have been in the middle of this and you have been investigating the FDA, their quote unquote vaccines and potential fraud there at the FDA. Would you lay out for our audience exactly what you found out, not about the medical part of the vaccines. I would like to, if you have some of that, I'd like to get into it. But tell us about the fraud that the FDA has perpetrated on us all. Sure, I'm doing, my current project is a, is a case study. It's a case study of the FDA's emergency use authorization of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for use in children uh, six months to four years of age. Uh, that decision, I just did a thorough review of the FDA's decision memorandum, which lays out its risk-benefit analysis. Uh, and it's just, the document is characterized by scientific fraud. I'll state that flatly, just outright scientifically fraudulent. Their, their entire basis for this authorization is fraudulent. Um, and, and there's so many aspects of fraud. I mean, I'm, I'm at 30,000 words documenting the fraud in that document. Wow. Um, but just to give your listeners, you know, a, a rough idea, uh, they had no, they, the decision was made, made in the absence of data demonstrating significant efficacy of the vaccine. So they didn't have any data showing that it actually worked to prevent symptomatic infection. Uh, because the data that they did have, I mean, they, they did have an efficacy population in the trial, you know, children who, who they studied and following cases, um, but but they were not, they did, it, it wasn't powered to be able to, to show a statistically significant efficacy. That begs, so a comp- question, that begs a question, though. Knowing that, these are people that basically all swore an oath to, you know, protect and defend, and their number one job is to find things to protect Americans uh, specifically Americans, but anybody else, especially our kids, why would they push forward and even offer this, yet alone try to make it mandatory for these children? Well, especially, it's a great question, especially considering the fact that most children already have natural immunity. Yeah. Which we, which we know, uh, the CDC's own data as of February, and it's only increased since, but as of February 2022, uh, the, according to the CDC seroprevalence study, uh, at least 75% of children have already recovered from, from infection, which means that they've already got natural immunity because we know that the vast majority of people who recover from infection come away with robust, broad, and durable immunity. Yes. That's far superior, far superior to the immunity induced by the vaccines. And this is another huge key point that I really want to emphasize to people is that people who experience breakthrough infection People who get vaccinated uh, and, their, and, and their immune response is primed by vaccination as opposed to infection. If they have breakthrough infection, it's not true that they come away with the equivalent of natural immunity as a result of that. Because there's a, there's a phenomenon uh, in the literature known as original antigenic sin, 
um, which is an immunologic phenomenon where the initial imprinting of the immune response prejudices the immune response um, to subsequent infection with variants. And so the immune system is stuck generating immune responses such as antibodies to the spike protein of the original Wuhan strain, which is what the vaccines are based on, uh, which of course is now extinct outside of laboratories. And so it doesn't adapt to be able to be more specific to an infecting variant, such as any of this Omicron subvariants. Um, whereas natural immunity is adaptive, you know, people's immune responses do adapt uh, and it is broad and able to, um, because of course, it's not just the spike protein with the vaccines, it's, it's in trying to induce an immune response to just the spike protein. Um, whereas, of course, when you have an infection, you, you have an immune responses to the entire virus and there's other proteins, you know, the membrane protein, the nucleocapsid protein. And so it's a much broader immune response. It's a, and, and a broad, coordinated immune response is really highly important for effective immunity. It's not just about antibodies. There's cellular immune responses. Um, and the vaccines do not do a great job of inducing cellular immune, immunity and cellular immune responses. And so there's this fixation that occurs whereby you know, we have to consider natural immunity as an opportunity cost of vaccination. If you prime your immune system by vaccination as opposed to infection, you are permanently prejudicing your future immune response to be suboptimal compared to natural immunity. And that's a really important thing. I think it's really important to understand that everyone understand that natural immunity is an opportunity cost of vaccination. Is it worth it? I don't understand that. We go back to the question, the evidence for negative COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness in kids. Why don't we just leave the kids alone and the natural immunity that they are born with and develop while they're engaging in whatever they do with whoever they do it? Why wouldn't medical professionals get that? Instead, it seems like there's this concerted effort, like we've got to we got to force this in the arms of these babies. Why or why yeah, would anybody want to do that? That's a great question. The short answer is that the you know so-called quote-unquote public health authorities, uh, they don't serve public health. They serve the, the financial interests of the pharmaceutical industry. Explain so that. short answer. Explain that. Well, it's, cl- it's clear. I mean, this is a, a good example. You know, the, the, the case study of the authorization of the Pfizer vaccine for, you know, infants and toddlers is a, is a perfect illustration of that, uh, where they just, you know, they purport to be doing science. They claim that their risk-benefit analysis was thorough and robust and, uh, and, and, and comprehensive, which is just flatly falsifiable. I mean, for example, their risk-benefit analysis is only applicable to children who are immuno- immunologically naive. It's not applicable. Their entire risk-benefit analysis is not applicable to children who already have natural immunity. And they know that most children already have natural immunity. And yet the risk-benefit analysis inherently assumes that the entire population is immunologically naive. So that's scientific fraud, right? Because they know better. And yet that's what they did. So this is just a perfect illustration of how they're not interested in protecting the health of children. If they were interested in protecting the health of children, they would do science. But they're not even pretending to do science anymore uh, because they're so enthusiastic about serving the interests of the, of the pharmaceutical industry. So what do we do? 
you know, it's awareness. I, there's fortunately a, a positive outcome of the pandemic and the government's responses to it uh, is that there has been a huge increase in awareness of the problem. You know, the, the central problem being, the, you know, there's this, there's this delusion that we're supposed to view like the FDA and the CDC, the WHO as these credible authorities. But the, the truth is, as, as many of us have been warning for, for many, many years, long before the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, trying to increase awareness of the reality that these, these agencies are completely unworthy of our trust. And they routinely and consistently and systematically lie to the, to the public about what the science says. And they say one thing. But when you investigate it and you dig into the medical literature for yourself, you can see that it's untrue. Um, and I've just been documenting instances of, of, you know, the government health agencies lying to the public for many years now. I've read some of um, your some of your research work, especially of late, and it just floors me how much of this is actually out there in our faces. Uh, they they are getting bolder and bolder about it, and when they're yes. exposed, they just basically say, "Oh well." We'll, we'll try to do better. Who would you point to in our uh, public health establishment? Who are the players in that group of organizations? And I'm throwing out Big Pharma because we know they are corrupt. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that drives the boat for everything there. And, of course, they pushed all that over on the American people and our federal government paid billions of dollars to Big Pharma for that. So we know that, but leave that out. In our public health establishment, who are the bad players? Well, you know, that's a good question, but actually my my analysis, my analyses tend to focus more on systems as opposed to individuals because uh, it almost doesn't matter to after a point um, like who the individual players are. You know, like whether you're talking about the CDC director, Walensky, or the head of the FDA, you know, that those individuals have a certain role to play. But it almost doesn't matter who you put in that position because there's an institutionalized, uh, uh, there's institutionalized cognitive dissonance, there's institutionalized biases. Um, and so I, I tend to take a look at the systems and I, I do systems analysis rather yes, than, yes. Um, and so hopefully that makes sense. It um, does, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, there are important players, obviously, like, like CDC, um, just to give an example, uh, after the FDA, authorized the vaccine for emergency use in you know infants and toddlers um cdc director walensky put out a public statement of course the cdc then immediately recommended the vaccine for all infants and toddlers and walensky put out a statement saying that you know that the clinical trials proved that the vaccine was effective and you got to get your vaccine therefore to prevent hospitalizations and deaths well, that conveys the message to the public that the clinical trial data showed that the vaccine was effective for reducing the risk of hospitalization and death, right. which is completely false. Completely false. So that's an example of an, you know, just a blatant lie. You know, it, she knows how misleading that is, but she's willing to make those types of statements. Uh, but, you know, you could replace her with some other figurehead. And we would see the same thing because of the institutionalized uh, biases that exist. Um, and so it's really about the systems and the institutions and the problems with these institutions even existing. And and, and they, they 
purport to be doing one thing. They purport to be serving the public and they purport to be you know, interested in public health. But the truth is that they serve the pharmaceutical industry at the expense of public health. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't like to go down that road. But I'm Same. I'm like you. I'm I, I you know, when, when something's I'm from Louisiana, when something waddles and quacks, it's pretty much always a duck. In this <laughs> case, we've got we've got institutions that are evil, but that evil comes from somewhere. Is there somebody somewhere or some group somewhere that seems to be the ones that are pushing the buttons that these institutions that have all this power and control over us, maybe they don't have the power and control over us that we think, but nevertheless, they're leading us down all of these roads and everybody, everybody in America that gets vaccinated from top to bottom is paying the price. Um, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 probably the name that's sleeping to many people's night, minds when you ask that question is Bill Gates, <laughs> who, of course, is, uh, you know, the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is actually... Uh, one of it for a while it was the I'm not sure if it's still true but uh, for a while it was actually the biggest funder uh, of the WHO and of course they give money to the WHO for the purpose largely of uh, you know just of mass vaccination campaigns you know, camp vaccination campaigns in developing countries and, and so on uh, and that's been a bit a major influencer obviously um, you know he influences policies uh, he has a lot of uh, you know obviously that money uh, is is a huge influence on policy. Um, so, so that's that's one kind of obvious example of of an individual and and, and a, a power player who is uh, you know kind of involved in, in this globally. Yes, um, and and um, I, I will tell you this: he is the bigger, at least the um, the foundation last year was the biggest contributor to the WHO. With that, mm-hmm. of course, comes power. And Bill Gates is not a doctor. But yet, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done medical work around the world. They've been busted in India, uh, mm-hmm. doing some trials on babies that went awry and kids died. They moved that to New Zealand and got busted there. I'm sure in Africa they had problems there. So I, I, I get it, the Gates Foundation. But you mentioned at the beginning, and you've, you've uh, gone back and referred to it, a couple of times, institutional, that's what you're looking for. It's not the people. Right. It's not the Fauci's. Right. It's not the Gates. You're looking at the institutions. It's kind of scary right. to think, Jeremy, that we're talking about a bunch of institutions that are American institutions primarily, which are funded almost totally by American taxpayers, looking for medical answers, moms and dads, working people. Who do we turn to to get factual medical information, which we got to have to make good decisions for our health care and our kids? Well, that's a very difficult question because, um, you know, of course, there's so much conflicting information. But the, real, the really the key is, and I hate to have to say it because we all want like quick, easy answers. But, you know, you have to put in the time doing your own research. And it's unfortunate, um, but, but that's just really the reality of the situation. Um, so, you know, I, I think one key is to just get, your information from as wide a variety of perspectives as possible and and just understand what other points of view are understand what other information is out there and then you know just try to do your best to kind of come to uh 
you know, to kind of analyze all that information and say, okay, what is it that everyone can agree on and that's uncontroversial? And then where are the points of controversy where this, you know, conflicting claims? And then, you know, what is the credibility of, of each of these sources making each of these conflicting claims? Uh, and then it, it can be a challenge to, to try to arrive at, at the truth and, and be able to get enough information to make a, an informed choice about, about health care, you know, about health choices. Um, but unfortunately, I think that really is required. I think we all need to to do our own research, do our own thinking, um, and really learn to trust our own judgment. Uh, I know this is true for my wife and myself personally and our family. We have really uh, come to really learn to trust our own judgment, you know, because there are times in the past where doctors would tell us one thing and we kind of, in our guts, just felt differently, but we would just go along, you know, because they're the doctors, you know, they're the ones who've studied this. They're the ones who went to school for this. Um, and we've learned to stop doing that. We've, we've learned to stop, you know, uh, listening to the doctors over our own judgment. Uh, and, and that's really benefited us and, and benefited our health. Just, you know, trusting our own judgment. I will so, tell our, I will tell our people real quickly. Uh, I've, I've been on your website pretty extensively the last few days. There's a bunch of information um, revelation about investigations that you've done. It's a great source. I would refer all of our listeners to jeremyrhammond.com, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y-R-Hammond.com. You've got a bunch of articles. Um, I would ask everybody, if you've got any questions about any of this and other medical things, go here to get a perspective or two. And as Jeremy just said, Rely on yourself. Look at everything that's out there, all the information. And I'll say something that may be a little extraordinary, but pray about it. Get a comfort level before you start making these serious um, decisions about health care for your kids especially, but also for you. And just try to make as much information available when you make these decisions because a lot of this is irreversible. That's the scary thing. This is not one of those things where you make a boo-boo and you go back and undo the boo-boo. Think about for our kids, vaccination. We don't even know what's in these vaccines. Um, And then the way, the very way that they did the Pfizer uh, charade on us. Yay, everybody. FDA approved Pfizer's vaccine. Well, they didn't. They put it in EUA authorization only. Nobody told the American people what that meant. That didn't mean it was fully approved. And there's a reason why all these vaccines went into that slot. Because any vaccine that is approved in the EUA status, it gives from the federal government complete liability-free access to use all of these vaccines. And if anybody sues for bad outcomes from these vaccines... These drug companies, they're not in the line of fire. It all goes to the federal government. Correct. That's true. And then if they do get approval and they're added to the CDC's routine childhood schedule, then they also get legal immunity. That's the big kahuna here. That's why they're pushing for this to be fully approved for our kids. That's why. That's one of the reasons I believe that they've been pushing so hard to get these shots into kids' arms regardless of what the data say. You know, for example, regardless of observations, repeated observations of negative effectiveness after several months of waiting. 
so, uh, regardless of the confirmations of original antigenic sin being a, a big problem with these shots. One of the things you know, that's are, the reason that's the reason there's not an Omicron vaccine yet. Remember, they said, "Oh, well, we can just rapidly uh, adapt the, the technology to to create new vaccines for new variants, and yes. we can do that really quickly." Remember, that was what they were promising oh, yeah. at the start. Yeah, and th then that never happened with Omicron. Why not? Well, because they. They tried and it failed <laughs> because of original antigenic sin, because even though they had they changed the vaccine to include an Omicron component, yeah. the immune response of those booster shots is still specific to the original Wuhan strain because of original antigenic sin. Wow. So that's why they never that's why they don't we don't have currently an Omicron shot. And the FDA is going to go ahead and push forward. They've already told the vaccine manufacturers to go ahead and put an Omicron component into the into the vaccines for a fall booster campaign, despite knowing that it's not going to work. And they're going to base it just on antibodies. And this is another element of fraud in the, um, in the, the, the EUA for Pfizer, which, by the way, like you, like you pointed out, they often refer to it as approved. That's false. In fact, EUA is a, specifically a status for FDA unapproved products. So that that was correct. Um, but the, what they did in the in the in their decision memorandum is they did what's they had what's called an immunobridging analysis, where what they did is they just measured antibody levels, levels of neutralizing antibodies, right, um, in, in in the younger kids, the infants and toddlers, the target group, and then they compared it with you know the older kids for whom the vaccine had already been authorized or approved, uh, and they said, well, look, since the antibody levels are are, are you know, equivalent, similar, then therefore the vaccine is going to work in the younger kids too. Uh, but this is a logical fallacy. And of course, the FDA knows that because they admit right in there that there are actually no correlates of immunity established for SARS-CoV-2, meaning that they don't know like if, what, that there's a certain level of antibodies that equates to immunity and, and protectiveness. And that's not the case at all. In fact, in fact uh, a consistent observation in the literature since the beginning of the pandemic is that a high level of antibodies is associated, it correlates with severe disease. Whereas people who have, uh, you know, mild infection or asymptomatic infection, no disease at all, tend to, to generate lower levels of antibodies. They don't need the antibodies. They have effective cellular immune response. It's right. innate immunity. Yeah. This is yeah. one of the reasons kids are so protected. They have very strong innate immunity and very strong cellular immune responses. And it's those responses that appear to be more important for immunity with SARS-CoV-2 than the antibodies. So here we are. We're in August now. School's coming up. There are some school systems, public school systems around the nation that are making these vaccines mandatory for kids. This is going to happen, if, as you mentioned. If this gets put in that slate of vaccinations that kids have to have to go to school, Parents are going to have some really tough decisions there. Yes. Um, obviously, all my six grandkids are going through private school, Christian school, and of course it's a different thing there. Parents are going to have a real conundrum when it comes to um, what do we do about our kids getting approved vaccinations so they can start public school. It's not mandatory right now across the nation, but if it gets in that, in that status with the FDA, it will be eventually. Right. How how in the world can we fight that? What can we do as American parents? How can we fight that and just make that go away at least temporarily? Is there anything we can do? 
Well, you know, yes, I, I, I do believe there is. I mean, we all, I think, should be active. I mean, anyone who is concerned about this issue, anyone who is concerned about the health of our children and, and the health of future generations of humanity, um, you know, we, we kind of have a responsibility to, to fight for, for a better future whereby, you know, we're, we're free, where parents are free to make their own health choices for their children without the coercion, without the violation, the systematic violation of the right to informed consent. And so I think we just need to realize that things like vaccine mandates, you know, are, are barbaric. And, uh, you know, we, we need to become civilized. <laughs> and so we just need to fight for the right to be able to make our own informed choices. And I think this is something that we can all do, um, just speaking out against coercive vaccination uh, and, and speaking out in favor of science. So to, to, to take up a position advocating informed consent is, you know, they like the media and the government like to portray that as equivalent to being anti-science. Yeah, they have. That's what they've done. In fact, they've literally done that. I actually wrote a, a, an ebook um, for Children's Health Defense, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization, um, where where there was actually a journal paper that came out accusing Children's Health Defense of being one of the two biggest um, propagators of "quote unquote" misinformation about vaccines. However, the, the, the journal paper did not document even a single example of uh, of a uh, you know, on Facebook. I mean, uh, uh, like an ad on Facebook from Children's Health Defense that that contain any misinformation, not a single example. They didn't even attempt to. All they did was they equated, uh, you know, anything that didn't align with the public messaging that everyone needs to get vaccinated. That's what they defined as anti-vaccine. And then they equated anti-vaccine with misinformation. So they just use these euphemisms. Uh, And one example that they did provide of of a supposedly anti-science, anti-vaccine ad um, what was uh, an ad from actually an organization here in Michigan, and all the ad was doing was was advocating informed consent. That was right. it. Yeah. Simply advocating that parents should have the right to choose. That's what they considered to be misinformation. So they literally equated advocacy of informed consent with spreading of misinformation. Uh, so I, I wasn't even being you know <laughs> I was being literal when I say that. Um, they literally do that. So. Uh, but that's the situation. We we need to fight this medical tyranny with everything we've got. We really do because this and, and you know this is the reason I have shifted my focus entirely. You know, for, I used to be focused on the Israel Palestine conflict, for example, and writing a lot about that and doing tons of research into that. Um, I, I have a, my major book, Obstacle to Peace, is on that topic, and I, I have ceased writing on that and pretty much any other topic entirely because this issue is so important. Uh, you know, and, and, and since I became a father, in particular, it took on particular importance to me um, that this is the issue of the day. Like, we need to have medical freedom. We need and to have the ability, the, the freedom to choose for ourselves. As an investigative reporter, somebody that really digs in, like you said, and obviously you dig until you get facts, and then you bring them up to the street level and you compare them to the quote-unquote other facts that are out there. For an average right. person like me, before we get away, before we end this, I'd love to have you stay an hour or two to uh, dig into this with our audience. But before you get away, is there one big thing, and I'm using that kind of in a broad way, big thing in all of this that you want to leave with our listeners today that we need to know regarding facts, regarding lies, whatever is the most important that you've uncovered? What would that be? 
I think one of the big key takeaways that everyone needs to understand is that what the government and media say science says about vaccines and what the science actually tells us are two completely different irreconcilable things. Uh, and so, you know, because there's just, it, it's, it's a religion. I mean, I refer to it as the vaccine religion, which I consider to be a, it's a subsect of the state religion, uh, the state religion being a phrase I've borrowed from Noam Chomsky, who described the role of intellectuals in our society and, and, uh, and the role of the media in manufacturing consent for, for harmful government policies. Uh, manufacturing consent, of course, being uh, you know part of the title of, of Chomsky and Herman's book, Manufacturing Consent, the Polit Political Economy of the Mass Media. Um, so I borrowed those phrases from them. They were in turn borrowing from Walter Lippmann and others. Um, but that really is a, a function of in intellectuals and academics in our society. And this, again, speaks to that the institutionalized biases that exist um, that, you know, you could you could change figureheads, you could change individuals' roles in these institutions, and yet the institutions are like, it's like a speeding freight train that just has this momentum of its own. Um, and so that's really, I think, the important thing to understand. And that explains, you know, again, a conspiracy theory is not required to explain how it can be that the entire, quote, you know, so-called public health establishment, the so-called medical establishment, can get it so completely wrong. I mean, it's not as though we haven't seen it, the medical establishment get it completely wrong. <laughs> you know, on countless other issues before, you know, science, we're always acquiring new knowledge. We're always, you know, gaining a, a deeper understanding from science uh, of biology, of the world around us, or of our environment, of how we as biological entities interact with our environment. You know, the discovery of the gut microbiome is a huge leap forward. Uh, it, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's shown how little we understood of the immune system up until now. I mean, they speak as though they completely understand the immune system and they know what these vaccines are doing. But that's one thing that astonishes me when you read the literature and they talk about how little they understand how vaccines even work, <laughs> you know, as an example. Um, we really are, we need to, I think, you know, scientists and the, the, medical, the scientific establishment needs to take a step back, you know, and, and get away from that God complex and just take a humbler approach uh, and acknowledge that we don't know everything that they claim to know. So. Isn't it ironic that here we are at the end of this conversation and you have brought us an amazing amount of information to digest. Thank you for that. But you're leaving us with this. Don't believe those people <laughs> that you have been told since you could breathe. These are the people that we must trust. They know everything about our health and any problem, any issue we have. We just need to ask them the question, whatever they tell us. That's the fact. That's the way it is. And that's the way we make all of our determinations about how to live regarding our health. It's really sad. It is. But, you know, it, it, again, as far as what we can do about that, it's like we can either consent to that or we can not consent to that. Research. Research. Dig Research. For and, and then be willing, you know, like, for example, with your doctor, you know, like be willing to confront your doctor and, and disagree with your doctor. And it might piss them off. I mean, I know in my own experience, they don't like it. <laughs> the ones I've encountered, they don't like it. Um, but you know, it, when you when you have the knowledge that you need to have the competence to be able to trust your own judgment, that really is the key, and that empowers you to be able to take a stand, uh, take a stand for your own health choices, take a stand uh, about you know mandatory vaccination, to just stand up and speak out and say this isn't okay, this isn't right, this system isn't working, it needs to change, we can do better. And we can all be involved in that transformative, you know, um, um, 
paradigm shifting uh, revolution. And that's what really needs to happen. It's just a paradigm shift. One place to start, folks, JeremyRHammond.com. J-E-R-E-M-Y-R Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com. A lot of information there. I think you will really enjoy going there and you'll learn a lot. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming aboard. Great to have you. Great to meet you. And please do this. You've got my phone number. You know how to reach me. Big things come up in healthcare that you think are really important. We got people all around the globe that are listening in that need to hear about it. Would you come back? Absolutely. I appreciate that invitation and I appreciate this discussion. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience today. Thank you, sir. Jeremy Hammond, what an interesting man who opened a lot of truths for me. I hope he did for you too. And um, don't remember, don't forget this, that uh, this will all be memorialized on TNN Live. You can grab it anytime. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and even Facebook, TNN Live. All of our shows go up there. This show will be up, I guess, five minutes after the show is over. And when we come back, I told you, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the next two years politically for the United States. We'll get into that in just a few at TNN Live. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. 
Oh, what a good song. Let's listen to just a little bit of it. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Who's gonna steal the show, you know, baby, it's the guitar man. Remember the, that group, David Gates and Bread? Let's see what they did. Uh, uh, some great songs. Baby, I'ma want you. If really good stuff. Hey, one good thing about that kind of songs that we listened to back in the '70s and the '80s, you could understand all the words, and the words meant something. Before we get into my predictions, out from the West Coast, um, Pete. Pete just sent me a story I thought that was pretty uh, pretty cool. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just minutes ago suspended a progressive state attorney in Florida. The governor accused this guy of ignoring the law for refusing to enforce several recent conservative reforms. Quote, state attorney for this judicial circuit, Andrew Warren, has put himself publicly above the law, the governor said during a press conference on the prosecutor's home turf. In June of 2021, he signed a letter saying that he would not enforce any prohibitions on sex change operations for minors. DeSantis, who accused Warren of being funded by, guess who, George Soros, also said that after the Supreme Court overturned abortion rights, Warren signed a letter saying he would not enforce any laws relating to protecting the right to life in the state of Florida. Warren told the Tampa Bay Times back in 2020 he believes Soros did donate money to his campaign, like he wouldn't know. Florida was among the states to limit abortion access in the fallout over Roe v. Wade being overturned, reducing the legal window to 15 weeks. The governor rationalized this suspension He claimed he was stamping out a pathogen of activist prosecutors that he blamed for rising crime rates in multiple Democrat-run cities. This brings up the conundrum that we talk about all the time here at Truth News Network, TNN Live. Every one of these guys, every one of these people in the United States Congress, and everybody in the White House, including Uncle Joe, they all swore an oath to protect and defend and to enforce the laws that are laid out in the Constitution, and also the laws that are laid out globally across the United States. That means it starts at the U.S. Congress. When they make laws, these prosecutors, these attorneys, these judges, these justices are supposed to enforce all the laws. That's their only job not to interpret, not to try to think through and find a hole that they can use to get around law enforcement? Why the heck do you think this nation has so much lawlessness going on? I've got a story I'm going to bring you later in the show. What's happening in Northern California? It just all of a sudden came out, and it will blow your mind what's happening there, and it comes 
from all of the illegal immigration coming across, flooding across our southern border. And it came up in Jeremy Hammond's conversation. When people have the power to do anything and they think they're above the law so they don't have to enforce the law and they've got a job to just do that, the greatest country on the planet can't make it. It will never last. It will implode if we don't enforce the laws and make sure that those that we put in those positions to do just that, do just that. I got a lot of respect for Governor Ron DeSantis. I think he's, without question, the best governor in the United States today. I know there's a lot of talk about him running for 2024 for the Republican nod to run for president. I don't think he wants to do that. My opinion, the perfect perfect way to look at the next 12 years is to for Donald Trump to run again, 2024, with Ron DeSantis on the ticket as vice president. They get elected. That's Trump's second term. He's done. Ron DeSantis then runs for president. And then after four years, he runs for re-election. I think a president, Ron DeSantis, on the heels of what we saw done for the nation, for our people, for all of us during the four years of the Trump administration, I think the second Trump administration would be really, really good. I think a lot would be done, and I think it would be assisted and aided in a great way by a Vice President Ron DeSantis, and then eight years of Ron DeSantis operating our nation from the top like he's doing so in Florida. My gosh, that's panacea. And I don't want to sound... Uh, selfish or anything, but in 12 years, what will I be? Let's see, I just turned 69, 10 would be 79. I'd be 81 years old. Man, would it be good to be looking back over my shoulder 12 years behind me and all those 12 years having Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis in office. I think, it, I think the American people could breathe clean air for all of or most of those 12 years. It won't be a, an easy go, especially at the beginning, because there's a lot of mess that's happened that's got to be undone. And I don't think there are two better people in the nation for getting those things undone and getting them undone quickly because they know how the system operates. So back on to prediction round. This is from Uncle Dan. Here's what I think is going to happen before the midterms. That means before the first week, second week in November. I think Kamala Harris will no longer be the vice president. I believe as we speak, there is a concerted push and there is very specific planning going on right now to remove her as vice president. That may be, it may be fed by some very significant promises to her on a lot of fronts. Maybe those promises include uh, powerful positions elsewhere in the government. Maybe it means a buttload full of money for her um, 
to go to the beach, so to speak. And here's how the process would work if that happens. Vice President resigns. The President nominates a replacement. That replacement's got to be confirmed by both the House and the U.S. Senate. That's happened before in my lifetime. That's what happened back in the Richard Nixon years. Gerald Ford was one of those people. Now, who do you think Joe would nominate? Now, remember, I'm talking about this happening before the midterms. Why? Because before the midterms, Democrats controlled the House and the Senate with that tie vote cast by the President of the Senate, which happens to be Kamala Harris. So they could pretty much push through whoever they wanted to be at Vice President. Who do I think it'd be? I'm positive of one name, Gavin Newsom, Governor of California. Now, why, oh, why would they want to put Gavin Newsom there? Let me just say this. Gavin Newsom is further left in politics than even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the squad. He's a real leftist. He's a good-looking guy. He's a young guy. He's an in-the-tank politician. Oh, my gosh. That's his history, folks. He is the consummate politician. And I think he understands how the game works. So, in my scenario, before the midterms, before November, Kamala Harris is replaced by a confirmed Gavin Newsom. California is going to have to do something. I don't even want to talk about that now. Really, it's not of concern. We're talking about the nation, not just one state. So then what happens? Well, um, I think, and I've told you this numerous times, I don't think, and I never thought from the beginning that Joe Biden was going to make four years. And I think that was part of the plan. Whoever the planners are or were. I think, and I told you at some point, Nancy Pelosi gets a phone call early one morning from Jill Biden, and Jill tells Nancy, we got to get Chuck Schumer on the line. So they three-way call, and Jill says, hey guys, Joe's going to have to step down. He just can't make it mentally. She probably wouldn't say mentally. It's going to be some kind of a biological problem that Joe has, and he thinks it's best for the nation if um, he just steps to the side. Then what happens? Well, of course, we have a president, Gavin Newsom, who serves out the term of Joe Biden, and then, of course, Gavin Newsom. He's already there. That's their candidate for 2024 to run against the other ticket, which probably would be Donald Trump and maybe Ron DeSantis. And then, of course, if Joe leaves, Gavin steps up, and then the nomination for vice president, that process begins again. But in this case, the Republican Party is probably going to take control of at least the House of Representatives this year in the midterms. Fingers crossed for them to take the majority in the Senate, but either way, they could prevent some hard left leftists being confirmed 
as vice president under a President Gavin Newsom because both House and Senate have to agree on the nomination before it takes place. Have you ever been wrong about this kind of stuff, Dan? (laughs) Of course I have. (laughs) Where did you get that, Dan? I, you don't know me really well. If you do, you know that I'm not sleep. I'm not sleeping much these days. And I have a mind that goes all over the place. I just think they are not going to let this current political structure stand. I think there's too much at stake. And they know they're in a bad spot politically. They're losing all their power. And they're doing that when they're getting all of these quote-unquote new-to-be American voters coming across the southern border, and they know they're going to get all of those immigrants when they get them legal so they can vote because of what the Democrats have done for them. Those people are going to vote for Democrat candidates forever and ever and ever. So all of the hoo-ha here has messed that up for them. They got to make the changes necessary. They got, they're losing power. They're losing all their control. And they're doing it for good reasons for conservatives and most Americans because they're being exposed for these horrible ideals that they're implementing, just shoving down the throats of all Americans. And we're the ones that are paying the prices. Even you heard from Jeremy. You heard from him talking about all the money in healthcare that is being spent. Those are tax dollars. Pfizer's profits, those are tax dollars. Moderna's profits, those are tax dollars. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, those are tax dollars. We're paying for those shots. When you go get a vaccination for COVID-19, you don't get a bill. If you're insured, your insurance company may, but they're reimbursed for doing that. Where does all that money come from? It comes from one of our pockets. Taxpayers are paying the bill. So we're going to move forward. Golly, we've got just over 30 minutes left on the show today. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. We haven't talked about it. It did happen. I'm glad that it happened. I felt strongly that if she decided not to go and President Biden made it clear it was her decision to go or not, that that would send a message of weakness to Xi Jinping and the other communists in red China, and they would look at that as a power thing that they blackmail the United States into cowering to them. Even in this time of deep political divisions with a potentially earth-shaking midterm election ahead, We're united. Americans, we're united in our concerns about this new evil empire, communist China, and its influence upon the freedom, health, and security of all of us in the Western world. A big number of sitting Republican legislators, former Trump administration officials, they expressed public support. Very unusual, but they did for Pelosi to stop by Taiwan. The GOP caucus was far more vocally supportive of Pelosi than the befuddled Biden administration, anybody in it, even though Biden campaigned on standing up to China. Of course, that was what he needed to say while he was campaigning. His his efforts as president regarding China have been totally different. He's given China anything and everything they want from him at this point. 
What's the Pentagon thinking when it publicly warns against Pelosi going to Taiwan? They did that, folks. If we're so intimidated by the Chinese that we can't even protect an American Speaker of the House, why should Beijing believe we can help Taiwan survive? Being timid in this kind of thing is very dangerous. Newt Gingrich, former House Speaker, and by the way, he made a trip to Taiwan when he was Speaker of the House. He's the last Speaker of the House to go to Taiwan. He summed up the two primary strains of bipartisan support for her trip. China has no business dictating where any American can travel, yet alone the Speaker of the House, and demonstrating America's sincere support for Taiwan is important. Polls consistently show strong American support for Taiwan, and that includes allowances for the fact that domestic issues are understandably their big concern at the moment. Exactly one year ago, Chicago Council survey found that 52% of us favored using military force to defend Taiwan if China decides to invade. That's the highest level of support for that proposition in the history of the poll. The first time, support went over 50%. Now let me tell you who else watches and listens to all of this. I promise you, this show's being monitored by somebody in communist China. They're testing the American people's position for the support of defending Taiwan, not if the Chinese communists go after Taiwan, but when they go after. They're going to do their best to take over Taiwan. So what the heck is the U.S. going to do? That's a great question. And I can tell you, with this president and his very obvious convoluted obligation situation to the Chinese. If and when this happened, that's going to play a big role. No question about it. Maybe, oh maybe, before that happens, we'll find out what that big tie that Joe Biden has for China. Maybe what it's all about. You know who Mike Pompeo is, former Secretary of State, former Director of the CIA, He went on Larry Kudlow's show and talked about the importance of what Pelosi's trip was. Well, China is enraged over Nancy Pelosi's Taiwan visit. So I'd like to know what might this lead to and why. Let's ask Mike Pompeo, distinguished former Secretary of State, Fox News contributor. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you for for doing this. And the Chinese look like they're just going crazy over this. I mean, all necessary measures to defend China's uh, freedom. I mean, what is this about? This is not the first visit an American uh, politician has ever made to Taiwan. How do you read it? Well, Larry, thanks for having me on. It's always great to be with you. Uh, Look, it's a little tiresome and over the top, Larry, I think, to your point, right? It's crazy. Um, to, to suggest somehow that a parliamentarian from a free country like ours is visiting another independent sovereign nation, uh, who she's not even a diplomat, right? She's a member of well, a member of parliament, although a pretty senior one. 
for them to, to use the language, the rhetoric that they've used to engage in the activities they've had, just, just seems like there's something else going on here. And I think that something else is this is Xi Jinping using this as pretext. He has wanted to retake his word, not mine, retake Taiwan for an awfully long time. And this is an excuse for him to tell the world, yep, I'm still after this. I'm still on the mission. He thinks he's got a weak president in the White House. He's got a president who actually didn't want her to travel there. He thought he could bully her off the target, I think. Uh, good on her for not having been, uh, been swayed from her determination that she wanted to go there and visit. But I think this is part of Xi continuing to test the Biden administration to see if they'll show the kind of resolve that we did for four years, uh, protecting America every place that mattered to the American people. Well, you know, Mike, in some ways, Pelosi is showing more backbone, and she never flinched, than the White House, or for that matter, the State Department. Uh, unlike uh, your uh, reign at the State Department, these guys always waffle around. But, but now I'm reading, I don't know what's true and what's not true, but I'm reading reports. China is doing military simulations uh, on their, you know, on their mainland uh, with invasions from the beach or onto the beach, it's the kind of stuff that they would do in Taiwan. So I regard this, I don't regard this as serious. Okay, maybe I should, but I don't think they're anywhere near invading. Get your take on that. And I think they may look silly, Mike, with all this yelling and screaming and then nothing yeah. happens. What you think? Yeah, Larry, I think you read it just about right. Uh, my point about this being a bit tiresome and kind of like yeah. childish, I think, the whole world can, I think the whole world can see that. So I think this will redound uh, to, to harm them. Uh, but I do think your, your point about the exercises, they, they've done some of these things before. They've engaged in this kind of, I don't know, almost tantrum before. Uh, I, I, I don't take that as creating enormous risk. I, I do believe that the risk that Xi wants to put Taiwan under his umbrella is real. It is his intention. He has lots of tools to do that, not just through invasion, but he can uh, make it difficult for them to access their own shores. He can uh, put real pressure on their economy. He can do what he does here in the United States, right? He can run espionage operations inside of Taiwan and use political influence through their propaganda inside of Taiwan. So I, I don't put a lot of weight in, you know, an artillery round that they show on TV loop on uh, China Global Times, right? I don't put a lot of weight in that. I do think that America must show resolve. We need to support and defend Taiwan just as we committed to under U.S. law for an awfully long time and provide them the resources that they need so that they don't, that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't make a mistake. Uh, we saw what happened. When President Biden said a minor incursion to Ukraine might be okay, we saw what happened to the Ukrainian people. We need to make clear that actions against Taiwan will be responded to in a serious way by the United States. Yes, well, amen to that. It could it possibly be that some of this, you know, Mike, the Chinese economy is terrible. And, you know, they're looking at like low single digit growth rates, which they may not get. They used to talk about 15 to 20 percent growth. They're always locking down big parts of the of the country over COVID, repeating mistakes that were made elsewhere. Is this is she trying to whip up a nationalist fervor, you know, because he's got these domestic economic problems and uh, your basic average Chinese person and family are unhappy with him? We shouldn't forget that they are heavily leveraged. They've hoisted a virus on the world. They're holding a million Muslims in internment camps. And they are telling their biggest business leaders, uh, you don't own that. You don't run that. We do. The Chinese Communist Party runs that. Their economy is in a very difficult place. And so while he doesn't have to stand for election, uh, he, do, he is up for, uh, up for renewal in the Chinese system mm -hmm. right? for another, another term. He said he's now up for life and he's going to do this for life. So, so, so be it. 
but it could well be that part of what he's engaging here is to take that Leninist, Leninist idea that is deeply ingrained in the Chinese system, to marry it with a nationalism that comes from uh, having a bogeyman like the United States that isn't threatening the Chinese Communist Party in any, it isn't threatening the Chinese people in any material way. He could be using this as a, a chance to just rally the troops at home. It wouldn't be the first time that an authoritarian leader done that, Larry. Right. That's what I was thinking, but uh, you're the expert. Mike, can I just switch gears briefly? Um, good for Biden, they nailed Zawahiri. All right, good, 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 good. I'm sure you agree with that. But, yep, good thing. Yeah, Absolutely. good thing. Um, on the other hand, though, the Taliban is in cahoots with al-Qaeda. We left a lot of American friends... People that helped us, they're still on the ground. Uh, we're not really helping the Northern Alliance or whatever is left of them who are trying to overturn the Taliban. I mean, I'm just suggesting, Mike, that there's still a lot of issues and that the Afghanistan thing was still a catastrophe, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. So good thing that Zahawir's gone. Uh, vengeance for 9-11. I'm, I'm still hacked off about what happened. I'm still very angry about 9-11 mm -hmm. to go after Zawahiri's righteous target. Well, well done for the intelligence community to have pulled that off. Uh, it doesn't change the situation on the ground there. The Taliban is in control. They are uh, married to the Haqqani network, a more dangerous part of the Taliban. Mm -hmm. And clearly this shows that they are still not honoring the commitments that we had asked them to sign up for in the Doha agreement. And we said, if you don't, if you don't do that, there's a series of things we won't do, one of which was we weren't going to pull our last troops out of there until they were running that commitment. They didn't do it on our watch. They're not doing it today, Larry. Uh, they're about to come ask the world for a whole lot of money. The Taliban are going to need a bunch of money to make sure the Afghan economy has a prayer of surviving. Mm. We should not give them one red cent mm. until such time as we can demonstrate that they have actually done what they said they would do, which is to separate themselves from terror from their land. They said they would do it. They're not about to be doing it at this point. And until they do, not a single American taxpayer dollar nor any European taxpayer dollar should go into that place. Mm. Good for you, Mike Pompeo. Really glad to hear it. Thanks for coming back on. Distinguished Thank former you, Secretary of State, Mike you Pompeo. Bet. Terrific stuff. There you go. Those are two guys I have a lot of respect for. Larry Kudlow, he is a really an economist, but he's a guy that uh, he looks to find out things, real things. And, of course, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State of the latest role, he was CI director, very effective for a long time. These are guys that they look at things objectively and they use facts, facts that they verified themselves. And uh, when you hear that conversation, especially from Pompeo, you get the whole picture about China as it pertains to where we are now and what they're looking for, the Chinese looking for, and what will America do in case all that happens. Well, speaking of China, speaking of America making decisions, um, Joe Biden, Joe Biden has got some ties, some pretty unhealthy ties to not just China, but a couple of other countries. It's Sue's son, Hunter Biden. New news out, new blockbuster news out. And guess what? We've got it. Got it for you next at TNN Live. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. 
Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Well, always big news happens while we're in the middle of our show every day. Big news coming out of Russia just a minute ago. So before we get to Uncle Joe and his uh, problems regarding China, let me tell you about Brittany Griner. It's not very good for her. She's the WNBA star, Brittany Griner, that got caught carrying drugs going into Russia. Today, just minutes ago, she was sentenced to nine years in prison after she was found guilty of drug possession and drug smuggling by a Russian judge. She was also fined a million rubles. have no idea how much money that is, but it's probably a bunch. In that trial, Russian prosecutors asked the court to hand Griner a nine-and-a-half-year prison sentence. The defense then started its arguments. How did it all end up? Well, maybe her defense team shouldn't have said anything because now she's sentenced to 10 years in prison. She did offer an apology before they got the sentencing thing done. She said this, I want to apologize to my teammates, my club, my fans, and the city for my mistake that I made and the embarrassment that I brought on them. I want to also apologize to my parents, my siblings, the Phoenix Mercury organization back at home, the amazing women of the WNBA, and my amazing spouse back at home. And she added, hope in your ruling, it does not end my life. Brittany Griner, sentenced to nine years in prison, and then it changed to ten when her defense team got up. I think I would fire those lawyers. (laughs) I don't know about you. I can't imagine being an American, American woman, and being sentenced to 10 years in prison in Russia. Oh my gosh. I'm not saying that shouldn't have happened. I'm not saying. What I am saying is she shouldn't have carried that drug, however it was done into Russia. She shouldn't be doing drugs, but she certainly shouldn't have had them in her possession traveling internationally. So what about 
Uncle Joe. Yeah, it includes Hunter. And instead of me telling you about it, I'll just let these people do that. More Hunter Biden bombshells. The New York Post is reporting that Hunter Biden was involved in a 2018 deal to export grain from Ukraine to China. The revelation coming weeks after his father's administration accused China of stockpiling wheat as the world faces a food crisis fueled by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Later today, FBI Director Christopher Wray will testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee where Republicans are expected to grill him on the Hunter Biden investigation. Joe, your reaction to this? Well, I keep going back, you know, to the same question, Dagan, and that is what three countries did Hunter Biden do business with per his laptop, which has now been verified, finally, that are dominating headlines internationally right now? It's China, Russia and Ukraine. And we saw recently with the White House not defending House Speaker Pelosi after Chinese state media said they would shoot down her plane if she went to Taiwan. And the president of the United States doesn't offend her, doesn't say a word. So the big question is another question. Is the president compromised because of his son's dealings, not only in China, but in Russia and Ukraine as well, where more and more people are asking, hey, all those billions that we sent over to Ukraine to help them fight Russia, is it really being spent where it should? I'd love to know. To repeat something Maria has said over and over again, Mark Tapper, this is not just a Hunter Biden story. This is a Joe Biden story. It, it is, you know, and, and Joe mentioned the, the question, like, is he compromised? And, and look, I, I feel Joe Biden is just he's a complete liar here. He's, he claims to be Mr. Family Guy, but he never asked his son about his business at, at Thanksgiving dinner. And why in the world would a board want to give Hunter a seat when he has no practical business experience? I think it's pretty obvious the intentions were to get to his dad, 10% for the big guy. These foreign companies were buying political access to the White House. And with regards to Hunter, I mean, I'm just completely baffled by the fact that, that he's still running around a free man. If the laptop reports are true, which it seems like they are, where is the actual DOJ investigation into all these business dealings? And, and at a bare minimum, at least into the tax issues. They're not there. Why is this all being swept under the rug? The laptop exists. The laptop is Hunter Biden's. And there is proof that Joe Biden, like a voicemail, proof that Joe Biden communicated with his son about his very business dealings. Yep. Proof. We'll see where these trails lead and whether Congress, if the Republicans take back the House and Senate, see what happens. One sure bet this Congress, this Congress is not going to touch anything that might make anybody in the president's family, including the president, look bad. Isn't it amazing? That scripture from the Bible, what did it say about this? Be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure your sins will find you out. How many times when you were a kid did you get busted for doing things and you thought you'd hidden them from mom or dad or your coach or your school teacher? And sure enough, you get busted. Maybe somebody says something. Maybe something turned up. Be sure your sins will find you out.
Now, I told you about what's going on in Northern California. didn't give you the details. Marijuana legalization has turned Northern California into the wild, wild west. I never heard about this. Drug cartels are fighting for territory in Northern California, one of the most beautiful parts of the United States of America. I love California north of San Francisco. Efforts are underway to limit the new industry's impact on crime there, but there's a bunch of work to be done in order to make it safe before, this is what they're after, long-term cannabis tourism, before that can even take off. The recent drug bust in California in 2021 is a story about how violent Mexican drug cartels have turned Northern California into the wild, wild west. Mexican criminal organizations are vying for a piece, any piece, of America's emerging multi-billion dollar marijuana business, illegally cultivating vast fields in Northern California's hills and in, in its valleys. Despite the fact that the state legalized marijuana for adult recreational use years ago, six years ago now, the black market thrives with thousands of illicit crops. Criminal gangs are profiting from the green gold rush all throughout our nation. They're undercutting the pricing of legitimate items sold by those licensed farmers, those guys who abide by the law, and they pay taxes. Criminals don't. So in a state, California, that's suffering right now from chronic drought, deadly wildfires, They're abusing labor, robbing and murdering opponents, harming animals, and they're plundering water all over North California. Cartels have abandoned many decades-old marijuana farms down in Mexico. They've been lured to Northern California by America's push for legalized cannabis, moved their operations to Northern California, where they can blend in seamlessly alongside the legitimate growers. That's according to Mike Cena, executive director of Northern California's High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Task Force. Why attempt to import that much marijuana into the U.S. when you can just cultivate it in isolated areas like Mendocino County and then transport it all across the country? That's a great question. Major cartels, notably the Sinaloa and the cartel Nueva Generacion, continue to smuggle billions of dollars in heroin, meth, and painkillers into the U.S. and other nations across the globe. They're flooding streets with fentanyl, which is frequently squeezed into tablets to seem like prescription meds, driving the pandemic's rising overdoses, killed over 100,000 people last year. The cartels and their narcotics have also reached as far as Kentucky, where the number of individuals dying from overdoses increased by 50% in 2020 alone. About 2,000 Kentuckians died. Cartels have taken advantage of our increasing acceptance of marijuana to extend their influence here, using the same ruthless techniques they used to drive out their rivals in the illegal opiate trade in Mexico. According to John Hasek, a member of the Mendocino County Board of Supervisors, 
that county is awarded around 1,100 legal cannabis growing licenses. Who would have thought it? You never hear anything about this. The sheriff is Matt Kendall of Mendocino County. About a two-hour drive north of San Francisco, he told the Courier-Journal there are as many as 10,000 illegal growers in his county alone. Remember, 1,100 got licenses. There are 10,000 more growing in just that one county. He tries to focus on the poorest 100 since that all his tiny team can manage in a year. Kendall said, I'm battling a monster with a needle. And you know it gets worse. It's not just the drugs. So in the face of rising violence there, the sheriff claims he doesn't have enough officers to even execute a search warrant. Here's a taste of what he's up against. According to Mendocino County Superior Court documents, Christopher Wayne Gamble, who reportedly managed vast illegal fields near the town of Willits, that's in central Mendocino County, I know where it is, is accused of killing a 17-year-old kid and his father who arrived from Mexico looking for jobs. In April, authorities discovered the victim's decapitated remains in a ditch behind a pile of tires that had been set on fire on a second property owned by Gamble. It's a retaliation for the individual who crossed the boundary, the sheriff said, and to the next person a message, don't step out of line. A rotting corpse was discovered in the trunk of a car parked along the roadside near Covello in the northern section of the county by a fish and wildlife warden in October. In Covello, one guy shot in the ear and another in the skull during a drive-by shooting. In July, last month, a 27-year-old man was fatally shot southwest of Covello in the Laytonville, California region. All have been tied to illicit, illicit cannabis cultivation. We're just a matter of time until we see heads in the plaza like they do in Mexico, the sheriff said. So why? Why Northern California? Well, illegal producers, they can hide their crops in plain sight just beside the legitimate ones. Challenging cops and code enforcers to figure out whether crops are legal in the process of getting permits. In California, even if a grower isn't legal, it's merely a minor offense regardless of the quantity of the crop. To upgrade a crime to a felony there. Now remember, this is California. They don't believe in cops. They defund, defund, defend. It's just crazy this kind of stuff is allowed to happen. So if they want to move it from a misdemeanor to a felony, investigators got to show that environmental damage happened or that somebody was stabbed or shot. Despite the fact that more than 30 states have legalized marijuana for medical use, 18 others have authorized it for adult recreational purposes, marijuana is still classified as a Schedule One substance in all 50 states, rendering it illegal at the federal level. I bet you didn't know there were still laws on the book. Remember, President Obama told his Attorney General, Eric Holder, to stop enforcing these federal laws about possession of marijuana. As a result, most banks 
they're not going to provide credit cards or offer financial services to these marijuana firms. It's a cash-only business. Cash-only. It's hard for a bank to come up with justification for giving out credit cards. For the last several years, our legislators in the U.S. have voted down contentious bills that would allow genuine cannabis-related firms to use banking services. Since marijuana is classified as an illicit narcotic, California producers and dispensaries are prohibited from exporting it to other states. Adult visitors are permitted to purchase marijuana joints, candies, and other uh, cannabis goods, but they're not permitted to transport them over state boundaries. Organized crimes, they've got a ready-made consumer base. They transport marijuana by rail, air, automobiles to places where it is illegal. According to investigators, some California residents acquire it illegally. Why would they do that? It's cheaper. Yeah, this is the United States of America. And this is happening in the United States of America. And it's happening in Northern California. I guess the worst part about it is decapitations. And there are going to be heads in these city centers like that sheriff said he fears. Because we let anybody and everybody in the nation flooding across the southern border. Nobody gives a rip. Wow, our thanks to Jeremy for being here with us today. What a great segment that was. Thank you for being here. And uh, we've got another day this week. We're going to get together again. That's tomorrow. I'll see you at 9 a.m. tomorrow. TNN Live.